Good. Well, very good. Wonderful to have everybody out here this evening. Um, so our topic this evening is a number of things that have been on my mind recently. Gratitude, humility, and happiness. So they asked me to, if I'd take one of these soup supper talks. And I always like to speak about what's really on my mind and really on my heart. So that's kind of what I've been thinking about for a long time now. tell you, the first thing I'm grateful for is that Mother Nature controlled by God Almighty, decided to give us a couple of hours of reprieve. Um, I had to make a judgment call this, this afternoon about 12.30. Are we going to have the talk? Are we not going to have the talk? Nobody knew quite what was going to be coming down from the sky. So um, took my best step forward in faith, and I think God has blessed us. Yes? So I'm thankful for that. <clears throat> um, just a few little thoughts now uh, that I hope you find helpful. Okay? So... Everybody wants happiness in everything that they do. It's the one thing that's an end in itself. You know, people will say things like, uh, what good is it to have money if it doesn't make you happy? But you'll never hear anybody saying, what good is it to have happiness if it doesn't bring you money, right? (laughs) Happiness is always the end. And everybody's chasing after happiness, and how many people have found it? Not too many. Certainly not enough. And I've just discovered that there's a couple of things you can do in life. Entirely under your control. By which you can get a handle on happiness better than anything else that I know. Okay? And those are the things that I would like to share with you this evening. And the first is the subject of gratitude. Okay? Gratitude is one virtue you can practice and choose that really will make you happier. I like to think that gratitude is a superpower. Imagine if I told you there's a superpower out there that will allow you to maintain your peace no matter what. There's a superpower out there that will let you be cheerful and optimistic no matter what. Say, I want, I want me some of that. That's better than leaping tall buildings in a single bound. Well, that superpower is gratitude. And it's within your control, right? You know what's interesting about gratitude? It's even been clinically proven to be good for your health. I shared this in a homily a bunch of years back, but here's hoping you all forgot, okay? So, University of Miami did a study on this. And they studied the effects of gratitude on your health. And this is what they discovered. They took 100 people and broke them up into three different groups, approximately 33 people per group, right? And they continued the study for for three months, and this is what the groups were assigned. One group was assigned to explicitly give thanks for five things every week. And these five things weren't like vague generalities, like I'm happy for, thankful for my family, or I'm thankful for my health. They were for specific things, like, I'm thankful that my lost package was actually just misdelivered to my neighbor's front porch, right? Or I'm thankful that the architect got in touch with me to change the design before it went to the subcontractor and we could get specific things. Five a month, okay? I'm sorry, five a week. The next group was told to simply observe five things a week. And the final group was told to complain about five things a week. And now after three months, what they discovered was that the group 
that observed gratitude for specific things had greater resistance to viral infections, better sleep, got more exercise, lost weight, and even made more money. Okay? Surprisingly, the group that was told to complain had the diametric opposite effect. They got worse sleep, they were sick, they gained weight, and they lost money, and some of them even lost their jobs. Interesting. Clinical study at the University of Miami. There's a priest I know who was friends with a poor Claire nun. Her name was Sister Mary Lucy. She died. Here's a woman who suffered very, very greatly. She lost her eyesight. She had a degenerative bone disease which caused her spine to crumble. Doctors could do very little to help her. The priest would go visit Sister Mary Lucy with regularity, but never once did he ever hear her complain. Instead, he'd show up to this woman who had every reason in the world to complain, and she always had a huge radiant smile. And so one day the priest asked her, he said, Sister, do you ever feel angry at the Lord because you've lost your eyesight? And she said, oh no. I thank God for my blindness. I've seen things, such wonderful things, that I would never have been able to see if I had my vision. And he said, are you in pain because of your crumbling spine? And she laughed and he said, constantly. Doesn't that make you unhappy? She said, no. It brings me closer to the Lord and that makes me very happy indeed. And you look around you at the world, at so many people who are so unhappy over trifles. And you might want to remember Sister Mary Lucy, okay? You know, you ever, you ever heard that quote from St. Augustine where he said, Lord, make me chaste, but not yet? Have you heard that before? Yeah. Make me chaste, Lord, but not yet, right? Okay. I, I think that there's a number of people who say this to God, Lord, make me happy, but not quite yet, okay? Because I'm not anywhere like near finished complaining. And here we are, you know, we're the richest, we're the healthiest, we're the best educated, we're the most self-reliant, we're the most able human beings that have ever lived. And have you ever seen some more unhappiness than this? I mean, I got 47 going on 48 years over my, under my belt, and it, 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 yeah, it's been better, right? It's been better than this. So many things... The people are, and I'm not talking about those who have a real cause to be unhappy, like the poor, like the unemployed, you know, like the chronically ill, or those who are bereaving, or those who are imprisoned, or those who are terminally ill. Interesting little side note on that fact. St. Francis de Sales made an observation about sadness. And he said that sadness comes into everybody's life. But what you do with it is up to you. Either it'll bring you closer to God or it'll drive you further away. Your sadness, and it's in everybody's life. You know, you're, you're sick, you're terminally ill, you got a bad diagnosis, whatever it might be. Um, either that's going to make you cling to God or it's going to lead you to anguish, indignation, jealousy, envy, impatience. And this you choose, right? This is up to you. But that's an aside and... Maybe the subject of another talk someday, okay? But rather, I'm not talking about people who have a real right to be unhappy, but rather the big babies that most of us are. So much unhappiness, so much griping, so much grumbling, so much belly aching, and over such petty things. You ever stop to think about this? 
you ever stop to consider seriously that some people want to be unhappy? I really think they do. Some people are only happy if they're unhappy. It gives them a sense of identity. I think that they'd be unhappy if they were ever happy. And because, and you ask yourself, why is that? And this is, it's because being unhappy gives them a little sense of purpose. It makes them feel important. It's kind of a self-dramatization. You ever been to the airport? You, of course you've been to the airport. But next time you go to the airport, if you can, take a moment, lean up against a pole, and just observe. And with the exception of those people that are jet-lagged, sleep-deprived, or have several hours to kill between connecting flights, you'll find at every airport a palpable sense of purpose. It's like excitement and energy is in the air because everybody has some place to go. Right? There's drama there. And people, they want that drama. Drama gives meaning to life. We can't bear not to have any meaning of our lives. We create it. And we invent things to be unhappy about. I knew a woman wealthy woman. She spent her days sitting at the country club all day in her tennis dress. And she told me that she had nothing in the world to be unhappy about. Her husband made more money than anybody could count. All she had to do all day long is sit around the country club, chat with her friends, and play tennis. And she says, I discovered things to be unhappy about. I had a great tennis dress, but it wasn't the best tennis dress, so I became unhappy about that. And I was on the tennis ladder, but it wasn't the right tennis ladder with the right people, so I became unhappy. People invent things to, who have no problems, invent things to be unhappy about, right? And we're especially unhappy if we can blame somebody else. It's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. It's my mother-in-law. It's my daughter-in-law. It's my kids. It's my parents. It's my boss. It's my employees. It's the poor people. It's the rich people. It's the Muslims. It's the immigrants. You get my drift, Right? And this is actually a problem. What I'm trying to say here is we choose this. And we've got to choose something different. Unhappiness is like a big, fat, ugly, mongrel dog we keep around the house and we feed it with scraps of negativity, tidbits of gossips, and crumbles of grumbles. Right? And we go into immature thinking. And then we wait for somebody else to make us happy. But we have to realize that there's only one person who will decide if we're happy or not. And that's the person looking you back in the mirror. One of my favorite quotations from Abraham Lincoln. This is just so deeply true. Most people are about as happy as they make up their minds to be. Honestly. Okay, so everybody wants happiness. And this is why I told you the story of Sister Mary Lucy. Uh, because she chose it. And you know why she chose it? She chose gratitude. She had nothing in the world to be thankful for and everything to complain about. And she was more radiantly happy. Because she chose it, okay? So gratitude is something that we've lost. Effortless gratitude was something that we had in the Garden of Eden. And you could say that the whole work of redemption is an effort to recover that. Okay, because back in the Garden of Eden, we're in this right relationship with God the Father, in which we see everything as a great, big, unmerited gift. Even existence itself. One great, big, unmerited gift. Who knows? Maybe the happiness of Eden was the happiness of gratitude, right? And then we fell from grace by a deception. And now we look upon God with suspicion and with fear and with a sullen eye. And we live in a fractured communion. And you could say this is really the purpose of, of, God, of, of Christ's redemption. What is, what's it all about? 
about drawing us back into right relations with the Father. One in which we're children of a Father who is gratuitous in giving, hasn't anything anywhere like the slightest bit of malice or darkness or selfishness in any form whatsoever, wants nothing more than to give and receive love with his creatures. That's what Christ wants to restore to us, that right relationship with the Father. And we live in this fractured communion, and we're a race of recovering ingrates. Okay? So we have to work on this. Christ Jesus came to reconcile us to the Father, and his whole life was an act of gratitude. What was Jesus' greatest gift that he gave us? What was Jesus' greatest gift that he gave us? Question for you. He died on, he died on the cross for our sins. That, I, I, you, you, we start splitting hairs here. He did that for us, but what's the greatest gift that he left us? He rose from the dead. He did that. What's the greatest gift that he gave us? The Eucharist, ladies and gentlemen. The Eucharist. Think about it. The greatest gift. I won't take a poll as to who had that answer, okay? But just the greatest gift that he gave us is what? The gift of his very self. Think about that for a moment. In the gift of the Eucharist, he's still there. And that's why it's the greatest gift. Now, I'm not saying, of course, he died and he rose. and We'll put those in a separate category and talk about those things that he did. What's the greatest gift that he gave us? His own very self in the Blessed Sacrament. Anybody know what the word Eucharist means? Anybody know what the word Eucharist means? The word Eucharist means thanksgiving. The greatest gift that our Lord gave us was his very self and a, and a word that means thanksgiving, giving us himself, pouring into our hearts the depth of his own gratitude that makes us capable of complete gift of self, just exactly as he was. That's the Eucharist. So we're empowered and we're strengthened, uh, we're, we're strengthened to, 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 to do this and to choose this. Okay? So gratitude, what a wonderful thing. We should all choose gratitude. Here's the problem. It's impossible without humility. And that's what we need to choose as well. Okay? Humility is something, if you find somebody with zero gratitude, then you can be, you can be absolutely certain they're also grossly negligent in humility. Humble souls are grateful souls. It happens effortlessly. Proud souls are entitled souls. You can choose gratitude, but there's also something else you have to choose to make it work, and that's, and that's humility. Okay? Now, humility, I've talked about this before, it's grossly misunderstood. Okay? Humility is not thinking you're the worst. A lot of people think that humility from the word hummus or dirt. Humility is when I think that I'm dirt. Right? That's not humility. Humility is not also smart people thinking that they're stupid or beautiful ladies thinking that they're ugly or people with multiple talents just coming out their nose thinking that they don't have any talent. Humility is what? It's the truth about who you are. That's what humility is. The full truth about who you are. But it's very, very hard to achieve. It's very, very hard to achieve. There's lots of things in our own time, and I want to tell you these things we have to fight against. Um that make it difficult for you to know the full truth about yourself. Consumerism makes it very hard. Okay? There's entire industries dedicated full-time to making you think that you're not good enough. Right? What you have is not good enough. You're too fat. You're too thin. You're too gray. You're not gray enough. You're too old. You're too young. You're out of style. 
but for just $29.95 plus shipping and handling, that can make it all better for you, right? <laughs> There's entire industries that are, devoted, that are devoted to this. And it's very, very hard. Consumerism, secularism, makes it very, very hard to know the truth about yourself. Makes it very hard to be humble. Listen, God gave you everything. He's the giver of every breath. He's the giver of every heartbeat. Every blessing that you count on every single day, you wake up in the morning. You're grateful that you've got an ozone layer that keeps the rays of the sun from frying you to a crisp, right? <laughs> Sustaining you in, in, in motion, every, in, in being at every moment. With, with secularism, it's hard to remember that because if you're not going to be thankful to God, who exactly are you supposed to be thankful to? And you don't know the full truth about yourself. You've, you've seen this before, right? You tell people... Right, it's Thanksgiving Day, or it's time to give thanks to God. And they say, you know, I don't, I'm not really sure I should give thanks to anybody because I've earned everything I've got. Gosh darn it. My talents, the sweat of my brow, and that's why I'm so successful. You, it's hard to be more deficient in humility than to think that. Remember what humility is, knowing the truth about yourself? Ask yourself this, you who are so successful by your own talents. Did you cause yourself to be born? Who changed your diapers when you were a kid? Who fed you even when you didn't even know what food was? Who taught you to read? Who taught you to walk? Who taught you to talk? Who paid your bills for all those years while you were soiling your diapers that you didn't buy? Who paved the roads you drove on? Who built the infrastructure you depend on every day? People walk around pretending like they did that all by themselves. An unexamined life is intolerably arrogant and a complete absence of the truth of humility, and it makes gratitude all but impossible. And tell you else, you can be afflicted by this no matter what your condition in life. You can be, it doesn't matter whether you're abled or disabled, or talented or talentless, or wealthy or destitute. This this lack of, of humility the culture is trying to, it gets, it gets to us. You know, I was working in a homeless shelter. A homeless shelter now. I used to spend all my Christmases working in a homeless shelter. And I would ladle out food for everybody who came through. It was on uh, O Street and, and North Capitol in, in Northwest D.C. A place called Somehouse, so others might eat. Ladling out food. And, I, and I'm giving out food. This one guy, he comes by dressed in rags. And he goes, is that all I get? And I'm thinking, you know, I drove across town to be here and I'm not sure my car is safe at the moment because I'm trying to help you. And all you can tell me is, is that all I get? So I was a chaplain for four years at high school. And I'd go around the whole school and every class I would have a pizza party for them. And, and they'd, get, they'd get a period off of school and they'd come into the gym and they'd have a pizza party. And, 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 and guess what they said when I was handing out pizza? I gave them as much pizza as I thought a 16-year-old can. They said, is that all I get? Right? Right? And, and you, it's, it's an absence of humility. And you, you ever stop to think about this? We say that to God all day long. You look at your family. How many times have you looked at your family and maybe in the back of your mind you say, is that all I get? <laughs> Don't answer. Right? <laughs> Some people's health is better than others. You turn to God and you say, is that all I get? Some people are superlatively talented. Some people, not so much, right? Is that all I get? You know what's the problem with asking, is that all I get? You forget the whole thing's a great big gift. 
and you forget the truth about yourself, and then there's no humility, and then there's no gratitude, and then there's no happiness. That's the trouble. Okay, so how do you choose humility? Right? How do you choose humility? How do you recover the truth about yourself? How do you know that everything's a gift? How do you know living dependent on God? Well, this is the key. Okay? Life provides us with lots and lots of opportunities. Okay? But I'd like to help you understand what those opportunities are. First of all, humility doesn't come from being humiliated. Right? But what it does come from is lots of little diminishments. There's all kinds of things happening to you all day long, and they're like a very, very small little death. Somebody else is smarter, somebody else is better looking. Somebody else is more popular, somebody else had a funnier joke. Somebody else is younger, somebody else is stronger. Somebody else is thinner, somebody else is more energetic. Maybe they've got a better marriage, maybe they've got a nicer home. Maybe they've got smarter kids, maybe they live in a better neighborhood. Diminishments. Not death, not humiliation, but something by which your heavenly Father, who wants you to know the truth about yourself and the full gratuity of the gifts that he's given you, he allows you to be delivered from the delusions in which so many of us are living. And pride is a great big delusion. You know what pride really is? People think that pride means I'm proud of my country. I'm proud of my school. I'm proud of my family. I'm proud I was born in the USA. Whatever. That's not pride. Pride is the most noxious of all vices because pride is that vice by which I look at you and I say, I'm better than you. And that's why you hate it when you see it in somebody else. Pride is the willed vaunting of yourself over another. That's what our Lord can't stand. Because God is infinitely humble. Think about that for a moment. There's nobody more humble than God. I love to think about this. God takes you even though the only reason you're turning to him is that every other option to you in life is, 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 is not an option. He's, he's your last, you're at the end of your rope, you've got nowhere else to turn. I like to say, you know, I don't know so much as one single girl in high school who would accept so much as a prom date on similar terms. But your Heavenly Father takes you. How humble is God? You can't even quantify it. And our Heavenly Father wants you to know the truth about yourself, and that's why the proud, as Benjamin Franklin said, proud folks bear most affronts. They're upset by everything. They're always angry. They're always... It's God trying to pound the delusion out of you so that you can know the gratuity and the truth and the joy in which he wants you to live. Okay, so what happens when you face these little diminishments? Because this really is the key right here. You prayerfully choose to accept them. Turn them into a little prayer, okay? Turn them into a little prayer. You choose humility. You accept what is... Even though it's not quite what... It doesn't mean you stop reaching for what ought to be, but you, but you do accept what is, and you grow. Did I ever share with you Mother Teresa's 10 Steps to Humility? If I have, pretend like you haven't heard it, okay? So Mother Teresa, she gives 10 steps for choosing humility. Listen to these. I think these are great. Number one, speak about yourself as little as you possibly can. Did I ever tell you about... I, I mentioned this in a homily. Did I ever tell you about the... Uh, the, the, the urban legend, at least, that Pope John XXIII never said the word I. Urban legend. I don't know if it's true. It's pract practically impossible to... But try it. Try phrasing everything in terms of you and we and us. It's a great exercise. You can't do it all day, but you could do it a little... Try it. It's kind of fun. Speak about yourself as little as you possibly can. Number two, keep busy with your own business and not the affairs of others. 
That's one we could all stand to, to use. Number three, accept, try to try this one, accept insults and irritations with a sense of humor. You can't stop insults, you can't stop irritations, but let's make a game out of it. Maybe we can turn it into a joke. Right? Work at it, it's, it's worth it. Number four, don't dwell on the faults of others. We all have them. We all have them. And we shouldn't be too surprised. We shouldn't be too surprised to discover faults in other people. Other people are definitely not surprised to see the faults in us. They know them well, right? So we shouldn't be too surprised when we discover that we have them, that others have them. Just don't dwell on them. Here's one. Accept criticism even when it's not deserved. St. Teresa of Avila used to practice that. She'd say, I don't deserve that criticism, but I've gotten away with lots of stuff in my life. Um, so I figure it's, it's, it's still fair, right? Number six, whenever possible, let other people have their way. Can't do that all the time. Sometimes there's questions of justice and these kinds of things, but wherever it's possible, let somebody else have their way. Number seven, accept being forgotten, being disregarded, even being held in contempt. Number eight, be courteous and polite, even when provoked. You ever seen this? People, they, they lash out at somebody else verbally, and then they defend themselves. He had it coming. Right? Mother Teresa says, even when provoked, strive for courteous and to be courteous and polite. Number nine, don't seek to be admired. Is there anything less admirable than somebody who wishes that they were admired? Don't we all see through it, right? So save yourself the trouble and don't bother, okay? <laughs> Number 10, this one's awfully, very, awfully hard. Give in in discussions even when you're right. You ever had this discussion with somebody and they make a point and they're wrong and you got a choice to make. Either you're just going to keep your mouth shut and let things keep going or you're going to say, no, you're wrong. Right? Let me tell you the way things really are. Let it go unless someone's safety or well-being is at stake, that kind of thing. But whenever possible, given in discussions, even when you're right, 10 steps for choosing humility. Because okay? remember, it's what makes gratitude possible and it's what makes happiness possible. And I'm telling you, with this secret, you can make it through anything. I knew a family who experienced a terrible tragedy, a death of a child. When I was a little boy, my father died. I was three years old. I asked my mother later on in life, I said, what was that like being 29 years old and already being a widow? She says, well, at least I didn't lose one of you kids because there's nothing worse in life than that. So they had a death of a, a child and everyone sunk into such great grief in this family they didn't even think they could get through the funeral. They were going to sequester themselves and not even go to the funeral mass for this child. And so they huddled up and they said, what are we going to do? And someone had the idea they were going to choose gratitude. They were going to be thankful about everything they could possibly think of. They were going to be thankful for one another. They were going to be thankful for their friends. They were going to be thankful for their home. They were going to be thankful for their health. They were going to be thankful for their faith in God. They were going to be thankful for all the years in which they knew this child, even though the child was taken from them. They were going to choose gratitude. And this is what the mother said. She said, that choice turned us away from ourselves. Only when we stopped looking inward did we finally start looking outward. Only when we stopped looking down did we start looking up. The greatest single thing getting us through that terrible time, she said, it was a profound awareness that transformed everything, turned us inside out, because when you're grateful, you can't be wanting. 
<laughs> and that's a lady who's that's a lady with the authority to talk. All right. How often? Well, you know, why not make it a constant habit? Why not make it all the time? The Jew, the Orthodox Jews, pray a hundred times a day prayers of gratitude. Did you know that? A hundred times a day. They call them the Barakah prayers. So you find an Orthodox Jew, they'll pray and got a book. You know, they're prayers of gratitude that they're saying. It's a pretty good habit to get into. One of my favorite um, soon-to-be saints is uh, Blessed Solanus Casey. You ever heard of him? Franciscan priest. He lived up in Detroit. Treated miserably by his order, by his diocese. He was one of the most holiest priests ever to come out of Detroit, and they wouldn't let him hear confessions, and they wouldn't let him preach. And he answered the door, right? And he did the laundry. And Solanus Casey used to have a saying when it came to things that happen in life that you don't understand. He used to say, just thank God ahead of time, right? Avoid the rush. When you see what he's up to, you'll thank him then, so just thank him now. I love that advice. St. Therese, the little flower, she said, what draws down the most graces from our dear Lord is gratitude. Most graces. Same kind of idea as Solanus Casey said. For when we thank him for a gift, he hastens to give us ten more. And if we thank him again with the same sincerity, what an incalculable multiplication of grace. I've experienced this for myself. Try it and see. From St. Therese. Okay, so I'd like to leave you with just one last little thought right here. And that is uh, that if you want to make gratitude and humility part of your life, um, evermore make the Blessed Mother a part of your life. Make her part of your spiritual life. Choose it. You know, you wake up in the morning, offer the day through the intercession of the Blessed Mother, say the rosary, uh, wear the scapular. Um, little things you can choose to do to make the Blessed Mother part of your spiritual life. She's the greatest of all the saints because she was the humblest. And we say, Hail Mary, full of grace. She was full of grace because she wasn't full of herself. That's the whole point. Turn to her in her prayers. She'll help you learn this. There's a prayer by a French Jesuit priest. I put this in the bulletin once. But I love this prayer. And it captures the spirit of what I really want to tell you this evening. Okay? The priest's name was Léonce de Grand Maison, Jesuit priest. He prayed, Holy Mary, Mother of God, preserve in me the heart of a child, pure and clean like spring water, a simple heart that does not remain absorbed in its own sadness. A loving heart that freely gives with compassion. A faithful and a generous heart that neither forgets any good nor feels bitterness for any evil. Give me a humble heart that loves without asking to be loved in return. Happy to lose itself in the heart of others. Sacrificing itself in the presence of your divine Son, a great and unconquerable heart which no ingratitude can close and no indifference can tire, a heart tormented by the glory of Christ, pierced by his love with a wound that will not heal until heaven. That's a, I love that prayer. So we're living in a world filled with problems and difficulties and, and, and darkness and Complaining about it never made anything better. The darker it becomes in the world, the more clearly people will notice where the light is coming from. Let's choose in gratitude and in humility to be what our Lord said. Be the light of the world. Be a sign of hope for other people who need it more badly than ever before. Pray to be emptied of ourselves more than ever before and to make our hearts more and more like that of the Blessed Mother. And make our prayer more and more like that one prayer that changed the world. When she heard the voice of the Lord and she responded, 
be it done unto me as you say. Amen.